0: Okay, praise God. Uh, let's begin with the word of prayer, Wednesday night Bible study, the book of Daniel, part 5. Lord God, again, we thank you for bringing us together tonight. We thank you for those that are here and those that are on the way or hearing by uh, podcast. We just thank you, Lord, that uh, by your spirit you uh, reveal Daniel to us, reveal to us uh, uh, the interpretation, reveal to us the application uh, for us personally and corporately uh, for the body of Christ. Lord, help us to uh, discern what uh, and why this book is uh, so important. And So, Father, we just thank you, and uh, we give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, something interesting happens. We're going to do chapter 5. It's all narrative. But something interesting happens between chapter 5 and chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar is no longer going to be the king. Just like that, he's gone. And we're going to be introduced to a new king. And so what I wanted to briefly explain to you before I started, because this really isn't in the text, but um, it's Nebuchadnezzar was the king. We've been talking about it again. He died in 562 BC. Then his son, Emel, Amel, takes over and he's not very good they don't like him, they basically kill him off he reigns reigns from 562 to 560 BC then his other, Nebuchadnezzar's other son uh, Nerigulasar, takes over from 559 to 556 he's not so good either and uh, uh, he dies and then his son Labashi is only around for three months before they kill him off and uh, a, lot then, of love there. Huh? Yeah. a lot of love there yeah it's a lovely family <laughs> and, uh, so then Nabandias becomes the king from 555 to 539 these are all sons of Nebuchadnezzar okay but you're going to be hearing about the king as Belshar, Belshazzar Belshazzar now, Daniel's name is Shazar. It's almost the same thing. It means uh, protect the king. Um, he is the son, the king that we're going to be reading about today is the son of Nebuchadnezzar, who is still alive, but doesn't want to deal with Babylon. So probably because of all the stuff that's been going on here, he now puts his son, Belshazzar in charge of, of uh, Babylon so he now becomes the king so technically there's two kings dad's the big king and the son is the little king and grandpa was Nebuchadnezzar make sense? so we're going to be hearing about him so he's the son of the actual king but it calls him king so historically if you look at it and you go whoa whoa whoa, whoa wait a minute this guy wasn't really the king Per se, but he was a king over that region because his father put him in position. So, uh, just kind of a little background, and then another thing that's going on at this point. That remember, Nebuchadnezzar ruled with a strong hand. You know, he was ran a tight ship, and nobody challenged him. Well, with these guys, now all of a sudden the kingdom is becomes very weak within one generation. And what's going on now, as we read, Persia is coming in and is on the verge to attack Babylon. So that's that's the that's the historical thing of what's going on with what we read tonight. I mean, uh, Persia is literally at the doorstep of of uh, Babylon as we're reading tonight, and it, it just kind of adds an interesting little little tidbit to it so this is part of what makes some of the old testament hard is you get these kings that change so fast and you 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 barely get the name down of one and then all of a sudden you got a new king and you're like wait a minute who is this guy and then their their names are all you know we're not familiar with these names so that's what's going on so chapter 5 verse 1 to 4 Belshazzar the king. Now see if I didn't say all what I said there, you'd be going, "Wait a minute, I thought Nebuchadnezzar was the king, okay? But quite a bit of time has transpired here. Belshazzar the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles. He was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold, and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, now it says his father, that just means that's the way you, you you referred to it. It's like they call Abraham father, even though they might be several hundred years or several thousand years removed from Abraham, he's still referred to as father because he was the patriarch, he's the one who started it all. So that's why he's referred to as father and not not granddad kind of thing. Hi, guys. We just started. And uh, uh, so, chapter 5, verse 1 again. Belshazzar the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousands. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, in order that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God which was in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. You know what's going on here? Mm-hmm. They're taking the, the 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 utensils that were in the temple in Israel that Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the t- temple, brought back with them, and now the grandson Belshazzar is having this party, and he says, "Hey, why don't we go to drink out of those vessels from the Hebrews?" in in you know and then let's give praise and honor and glory to the God of gold silver bronze and bad career move right Mm -hmm. Um, but also what might be going on there is I put in your little handout it says contempt this may have been an attempt to belittle Nebuchadnezzar who remember it was now all of a sudden when we last heard from him he was honoring the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob remember because of all the Dreams and visions and things. So he had done that. He dies off. His other sons come into power for a short amount of time. They're done away with. And then the fourth son is there and he doesn't want to deal with Babylon. So his son, which is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, is the one we're talking about. It's kind of like he's trying to show off, in a sense, what Nebuchadnezzar had done. Because they had always had the other gods and the other idols. So it's kind of like in-your-face kind of thing. So, any thoughts, questions there? Okay. So now, the handwriting on the wall. I remember this when I was little. They always used to say that, you know, the handwriting's on the wall or something, or you'd see something. And I remember movies, and the handwriting would appear on the wall and, you know, and all that stuff. Well, this is where it comes from. It comes from here.
1: I have a question. So, so he it says that he brought all the vessels for the, for him and his nobles and the wives. So there must have been a whole lot of
0: vessels that were taken. Yeah, there was a, there was a lot of stuff. Plus, the temple was also a treasury. Okay. So if you had any wealth or anything, mm-hmm. and you wanted it safekeeping, okay. it would go it would go in the treasury in the temple. So there was a lot of vessels, but. There was also shifts in the temple of about 1,500 priests, and they would serve a month, month on, month off, month whatever, around you know, the, the, the Levites. So quite possibly there were vessels for all of them. One shift had their own vessels and the other quite possibly so. I don't know how many they had, but there was um, quite a bit of wealth there. And so it, it's kind of like in your face... We're we're going to drink out of those vessels because where's your God now, right? Where's your God now? So, and point being in in Christianity, you know, sometimes the Christianity highs and lows and stuff. You know, some people can say, well, where's your God now? Well, He's still on the throne. He's still active. He's still, He's you know, it's it's just just watch, just sit and watch. He will show up. So, uh, so now verse five. The handwriting on the wall. Verse 5 to 9. Suddenly the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale and his thoughts alarmed him and his hip joints went slack and his knees began knocking together. Kind of like what happened to Mary when she first saw me.
2: <laughs> no, <I'm> just
0: <laughs> I just like to get myself in trouble. That's all. <laughs>
2: I'll
0: be hearing about it all the way home. It's, okay. it's all good. <laughs> uh, so these begin knocking together. <laughs> Verse 7. The king called aloud to bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans, Uh, the divinators, uh, the king spoke and said to the wise men, of Babylon, any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me will be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck, have authority as third ruler of the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then, King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, his face grew even paler, and his nobles were perplexed. So here comes his handwriting on the wall. Right after he does what? He takes those vessels that were used to glorify God in the temple, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, Yahweh. So he defiles those and then now he gets the handwriting on the wall. You know, and it's a supernatural thing right it's it's he sees the back of his hand comes and writes on the wall that enough I guess would get your attention and then you know he wants the interpretation of what it is so like his grandfather he brings in all the magicians and all the supposedly wise men and they cannot uh, um, decipher what it is and a couple things there a question for you verse 7 the king called aloud to bring in all the conjurers and all those people and then he says any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me will be clothed with purple. Why purple? Well, So purple is a royal color. The royal colors are purple, scarlet deep blue gold and uh, bronze. Those are the the colors that were in the temple along with uh, wood. Uh, highly highly uh, polished wood but yeah purple is the color of of, of royalty uh, and have a necklace of gold around his neck and then have authority as third ruler in the kingdom yeah. why third ruler in the kingdom because he's the second yeah. the,
2: the king's in absence in absence a king yeah yeah, yeah
0: because yeah. we already have the king yeah And then we have the king who's over Babylon. So these guys aren't going to abdicate. So whoever would be number three. So that's why that's there. So that's why I went through that to show you how we got to this guy. Because when we left, he was king. And now all of a sudden, this guy is here. And what does this mean about the third ruler? So by explaining that, that this is the actual king, son of Nebuchadnezzar. And this is his son who's over Babylon at the time. So just like his grandfather, as it refers to his father, um, you know, he 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 needs an interpretation. He's upset. He knows something's going on that's out of his control, right? So Verse ten to thirteen. Oh, yes. Can we go a minute? I know that we have talked about the ends, but why are they in that group? The only one whose name is with a capital C. Because that's a uh, uh, that's a that's a, a, a tribe of people, so that's the capital thing there. But they're basically just magicians <laughs> from Chaldea. They are basically which is the heart of Babylon, okay. so it makes a distinction that they were from that area as opposed to those that were from someplace else okay. and came in okay. Chaldeans. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so stop being any time we uh, have questions because it makes for good roads to go down a lot of times. Verse 10 to 13. It says, The queen entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his nobles. The queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is a spirit Of the holy gods, and in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and uh, uh, diviners or divinators. This was because an extraordinary spirit. Extraordinary spirit, knowledge, insight, interpretation of dreams, explanations of enigmas, and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. So, who's the brains behind the king? The queen. The queen. Yeah, you know, she's the one that says, Okay, I hear you're all upset what's going on here we got this guy Daniel and you know uh, obviously you know uh, she knew what was going on she knew the distress she knew all that so she comes in a sense to his rescue and says Daniel is, is here you should call Daniel in right because Daniel is the uh, is, is the one who can who can handle all this above everybody else but again I put down on your handout divine appointment you know, God puts us in position. Daniel was in position. You know, you, originally he's taken captive as a young boy, but you have to see the providence of God in this. God is working, and then God now takes him, puts him in position in the palace so that he interprets these dreams for, for Nebuchadnezzar, and now he's doing it for, for you know, uh, the other king, the grandson and uh uh you know it's divine appointment he's in that position in that place for a reason right and so uh it's just not it's just not chance and that's one of the things that when when we look at these stories you know these stories aren't chance with God it's plan and design we are talking about a creator intelligent creation all things were set in motion when he says alpha and omega. That means he controls what's going on till we get to the end. He controlled from the beginning. He's controlling the uh, narrative all the way to the end, right? So uh, uh, divine appointment, and that's you know rabbit chase that real quick. That's for us in our lives. A lot of times you look, okay, why am I doing what I'm doing? Where am I at? Why am I in this situation, or, or why am I here? Yeah, yeah. It's divine appointment. God has a reason you know we don't always know the reason until maybe way later or looking back or something happens and all of a sudden or maybe we know the reason and we're just fulfilling what God wants but it's a divine appointment so Daniel's in the right place it's the right time even though he's not where technically he should be by birthright okay but he's still God has his hand on him right 14 to 17. He says, Now I have heard about you that a spirit of the gods is in you. Again, see, he's not of the God, of your God, or that. He's still the multiple gods, right? The sun god, the moon god, the the gold god, anything they they, they didn't understand, they turned it into a god. Now I have heard about you that a spirit of the gods is in you, and that illumination insight and extraordinary wisdom has been found in you just now the wise men and the conjurers were brought in before me that they might read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me but they could not declare the interpretation of the message but i personally have heard about you that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems now if you are able to read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me. You will be clothed with purple, wear wear a necklace of gold around your neck, and you will have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. Sound pretty good, right? And Daniel's probably thinking, "Okay, I've, I've, I've been here before. I know. I know the drill." Mm-hmm. Okay, but this is Daniel's reply, verse seventeen. Then Daniel answered and said before the king. Keep your gifts for yourself. Or give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. He's telling the king, keep your stuff. That's not a good thing. But don't forget, who's Daniel? Daniel is God's man on the scene, right? And so, obviously, Daniel knows a little more about what's going on than the text is probably giving us. We're going to find out in a second what what, what he probably sees coming. But he's, he, he doesn't have any desire to, to accept something from this king. He's, he's not saying, I'm not going to do it for personal gain. You know? Um, again, uh, the gifts of God are what freely given, and freely we give back, right? And so, that's kind of what's going on here. I don't want your stuff, but I'm going to give you the interpretation. So, any thoughts, questions on that? Kind of straightforward. It's all narrative
2: tonight. It's going to be pretty quick, pretty easy. So, um, would that have been a pretty big insult to the king?
0: Yeah, it was. It was a. It was a. Uh, and based on what's going to happen next week, it's kind of like Daniel shows he's not afraid of the king. Mm-hmm. Anybody else would have said, "Oh, your Majesty, thank you, and may you may the king live forever," kind of thing. He basically says, "No, I don't want your stuff."
2: Would those gifts have been the items that the king had brought out of the treasury most he likely too. <laughs> that's
0: definitely a good point. A very good point. He says, "Now you're gonna, now you're gonna okay, yeah, you're gonna give me stuff." That was taken from, and I'm supposed to get excited about this. No, this is a bad career move for the king, you know, so yeah, it's it's this is good. see this is okay, this is looking at the text and looking at what you know from the text and applying it in the context of the text. That's why it's important to know the historical background, what's going on. Not just this, but what happened, where they came from, with the temple, the temple being ransacked, whose goods those things belonged to, and, and, and why it was shameful for him to do that, and why Daniel wouldn't want any part of that. Yeah, so that's all part of that that package. And, uh, I have
1: a question, too. Sure. Was the queen that told um, the king about his father, was that... The king's mother
0: or the grandmother? It was, it was his wife. It was his. Belshazzar's wife.
1: His
0: wife. Yeah, his wife. So they were king and queen over Babylon, but not over uh, that whole region. His dad was. Mm-hmm. So that was his, you know. Uh, so yeah. Um, let's see, verse 18 to 20. He says, O King, the Most High God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar your father. So now he sets him up and he says, My God, the God that your father came to recognize. He says, O King, the Most High God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar your father. And because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the people's nations and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished, he killed, and whomever he wished, he spared, alive. Whomever he wished, he elevated, and whomever he wished, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit became so proud that he became that he behaved arrogantly, he was disposed from his royal throne, and his glory was taken Away from him. So before he interprets the dream, he says, Here's something you don't know, or you're not really understanding. And he does the whole thing. He says, You know, God put him in this position. He, he could have ruled and reigned. He had all this power, all this stuff. But then when God showed him who was really in charge, you know, God of the Bible, Yahweh, that he, you know, he became arrogant still. You know, he still wanted an image, a golden image of himself. You know, he was willing to acknowledge God, but there was still that idea, well, I'm still the king here. And so what happened? He lost the kingdom, right? And that puts him, in other words, he says, we're sitting here today with you, Belshazzar, because of his arrogance. And which got passed on to these guys, who could not hold the kingdom together because from the year 562 down to here uh, we're about 550 we're about 539 in that short amount of time the kingdom becomes very weak it's not It's not strong at all because remember I tell you um, right now as we're reading uh, Persia is, is, is getting ready to overthrow Babylon and he's throwing a party literally He's asleep at the wheel. You know. so, so Nebuchadnezzar was humbled and stripped of his throne by God. So again, who's who controls the action in the Bible? God. Who controls the action in the world? God. See, this, this is what the world misses, that the world doesn't understand creation didn't just stop with let there be light you know God is still alive he's still active still involved and there's things still to be played out where God is still active in he's going to be active throughout the entire course of history you know however long we go until the new heaven and earth uh, God is God is active and he'll be active past that so thoughts questions now we're going to get to the interpretation of the dream. I mean, of the writing on the wall. Uh, 21 to 29. And he was driven away from mankind, and his heart was made like that of the beast. Remember we talked about it last week? He was just went nuts. And uh, so he was driven away from mankind, and his heart was made like that of the beast. And the dwelling place was with the wild donkeys and he was given grass to eat like the cattle his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind and that he sets it over whomever he wishes notice, God sets it over whomever he wishes so a lot of times you think, okay you know, it's got to be the ruler's got to look like this no, the ruler's got to look like who God has put a position because there has been ungodly rulers who have given favor to God's people and are who were there for a season to do something and then they were replaced by somebody else but God controls all of that action okay let's see verse 22 and yet you his son Belshazzar have not humbled your heart even though you knew all of this so the writing on the wall if Belshazzar hasn't figured it out yet It has to do with his lack of humility. Right? Yet you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart even though you knew all of this. But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you, your nobles, your wives, your concubines, have been drinking wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. In other words, your gods are mute. They're totally useless, right? Um, But the God in whose hand are your life breath and your ways you have not glorified. Ouch. Verse 24. Then the hand was sent from him, and this inscription was written out. This is Aramaic. Now this is an inscription that was written out. Uh, mini, Mini, Tekol, Absharsen. This is the interpretation of the message. Mini, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. Now, Mini is an Aramaic noun for 50 shekels. Of, of gold, which is about one and a quarter pounds. That's what a, a mimi is. Okay? So if you if you were reading this, you, if you were getting this back in that day, you would understand, okay, we're, we're, we're talking about gold here, something that's weighed out. And so what is God doing? God is weighing it out, and he's judging it. Okay? Um, so then he says, 27, Uh, Tikal, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Tikal is is again an Aramaic Aramaic noun for a shekel, which is two-fifths of an ounce of gold. So the first one was fifty, and he says you've been weighed out, and you're just two-fifths of a shekel. But he doesn't give him very much weight here. He says God has weighed you out and you're the smallest amount that can be weighed here. And then, uh, Perez or Perezin says, Your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the, and the Persians. A uh, parson is 25 shekels or two thirds of a pound. So, in other words, half of what the first one was. So, in other words, your kingdom is going to be divided because it's half of what the first one was. He says, this is what it was. It was 50, and then we weighed you. You were two-fifths of an ounce, not much, and then your kingdom is now going to be split between two. It's going to be divided. Kind of like in World War II. Remember after we conquered Europe and all that? Soviets got part of Europe. West got part of, you know, the things were divided. That's what, that's what happened and all of that. That's what comes out of that. And so... She says your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. Now, now, whether he knew this going in or not, when he tells him, uh, when he when, when, when he when he tells him, I, I don't, I don't want your stuff. We don't know, but my my educated guess is, he knows that the the, the Persians are coming and they're going to overthrow this weak kingdom. I think he already he already he already understands that. Yeah. You know? But he's not showing any concern, either. So, verse 29, Then Belshazzar gave orders, and they clothed Daniel with purple, put a necklace of gold around his neck, and issued a proclamation concerning him that he now has authority as a third ruler over the kingdom. So, he accepts it. um, At this point, what the king has done. But I mean, the king... Accepts what Daniel has said. He doesn't. He doesn't question it because, in his heart of hearts, he knows I'm not anything close to what he was. Right, and uh, uh, and you know he probably has no idea uh, what's coming because you read verse thirty it says that same night Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. So Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age of sixty-two. Boom! That night, he's partying with a thousand of his friends, and there's 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 a, 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 a host army coming, and he's he's in party mode, and he can't see the writing on the wall. And God puts the writing on the wall for him. Daniel comes. Daniel interprets it. And now uh, Darius becomes the king. That's why now when you'll be reading, you now you'll be reading about King Darius. And if you don't know this, you say, okay, where'd Darius come from? Okay. He came from Persia. He's not a Babylonian. He came from Persia, and, which is present day Iran. And uh, so Darius, he uh, sees the kingdom and he's 62 years of age. Thoughts? Questions?
1: Um. When Nebuchadnezzar brought uh, Daniel to tell him about the king, and Daniel was um, a little bit misgiving, with misgiving or maybe fearful, and the king told him, "Don't be concerned; just tell me." But with this king, um, the king didn't ask David, anything David Daniel was very bold, and um, we not even waiting for the king to tell
0: him. Because this king was fifty shekels, this king was two fifths of an ounce. <laughs> so, in other words, it was like you know, you 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 think you're all that, but you're really mm-hmm. nothing. And that night, he's gone. He's he's off. He's off the history book now. He's done. He's he's finished. And so, uh, um, yeah, it's it's you see you see in a sense a maturity also in Daniel because remember Daniel was a young boy. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abed- Abednego they were like 12, 13 years old at the most when the self started. Now they're grown. They're grown men. They look like Diego. Yeah. <laughs> and so. And so. Uh, now I want to do this first part of chapter 6 where we're going to be next week is I want to talk, talk about this a little bit so now all of a sudden Darius is now the king he comes from, from Persia he's not a Babylonian king he's from Persia he conquered Babylon now remember Babylon was under Nebuchadnezzar was the strongest of the strongest countries World denomination, or not denomination, but dominance in uh, denomination is in church denomination. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, uh, uh, you know, so this shows you how far they had they had fallen under the sons. And it's the same thing, teacher rabbit, real quick. I mean, what happens when you have Solomon as king over Israel? You have David. And you have the kingdom is strong. Then you have Solomon; he's the wisest king, and the riches and all this stuff. And then what happens when Solomon dies?
2: Kingdom split. They
0: split. War. Civil war. Dysfunction. Uh, they they go into 450 years of just lousiness, you know. But at one time under Solomon, it was it was the best and the brightest of of in the world. And so Nebuchadnezzar had that, and so now Darius comes in, the kingdom is divided, he's ruling now over Babylon. So, chapter 6, verse 1. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 sap traps. Sap traps are not things that catch bugs. <laughs> it's another name for like a governor. Okay? Uh, to appoint 120 governors over the kingdom, that they should be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them, three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss. Then Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps, because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire nation. Sounds good, right? Mm-hmm. Sounds good. I think as Larry was talking last week or the week before. Sounds like Joseph. Yes. You know? Yeah, he's, this, this all sounds good. But don't forget the political intrigue here. He's a Jew living in a foreign land with people that are native of that land being ruled by people from another land that's 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 a crazy political mix so you're going to have infighting you're going to have jealousy right and why does this daniel guy always get promoted why is he the you know why not one of us you know darius at some point is smart enough to realize this daniel's got something going for him the same way nebuchadnezzar understood but next week, Daniel goes from the penthouse to the basement. He's in the lion's den. And so that's where we'll pick up the story next week.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, you know, it's, it's like, but, but again, going back to Daniel is in that position for a reason. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the furnace, but they were there for a reason. Because they have the faith to withstand and say you know you can do what you're going to do but I would much rather uh, burn up than serve you. Because I'm not going to turn from my God. And you know they're in there and, and Christ is in there with them. They come out unharmed. And so next week a decree is going to be given. Because what do kings do? They give decrees. And if you don't follow the decrees what happens? You're in trouble. And then now it's How are you going to behave once the one who thinks they are king makes a decree? Now here's, take it out of this context, put it in the context of the world. We've got kings and rulers and people today who think they make all the decisions, but ultimately who makes the decisions? That's why it's important to have people around them the Daniels around them because they might not always be someone that's gonna be listening to God, but as long as there's a Daniel or a Shadrach or a Meshach or a, a Peter, James, and John, whatever it might be around them, uh, that's divine appointment. So again, it's a lot of times we look at say, okay, well, you know, if he's gonna be if he's gonna be the president or the king, he's gotta be X, Y, and Z. No, he has to be who God appoints, and then God will put those around him to help facilitate what God is doing, right? Because those people won't sway. And this is, the, this is part of the story up to now in Daniel. Even though they're away from their homeland, even though they're not in control of their destiny, they're promoted by God because of divine appointment, because of what God is doing in the big picture. And the big picture is not just what's happening there, but it's what's happening over the entire world there as they know it. But then it's now, you know, almost 3,000 years later to us and we're taking this and we're looking at this and then we take this and put it on the grid of what we're going through. And you have to see, okay, God's in control. Somehow this is going to be you know and and uh so thoughts questions comments yeah
2: um did you say that
0: Darius is a Jew no he's okay. a, he's a Persian he's a,
2: i was going to say he came from Persia to take over but i thought you said he was
0: no, no the Jews the Jews are Shadrach Meshach Abednego and Daniel
2: okay
0: and uh and by the way what's almost parallel to this story right here if you were now to go to uh, Ezra and Nehemiah if you read Ezra and Nehemiah they take place right about the same time this is going on because what happens is once once Babylon is liberated by the Persians then what happens is Darius and then uh, King Artaxerxes King Artie, as I like to call him, Mm -hmm. is uh, uh, he now comes in and he allows the Jews to go back. And then he gives them money to rebuild. So when you're reading Ezra and Nehemiah, in the original manuscripts, it's just one book. It's Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra is a priest. He's about the spiritual rebirth. uh, uh, And and Nehemiah is about the physical rebirth in the building up of of uh, of the city. Um, Jerusalem, but it's all one scroll. But it takes place historically right around here. But if you're reading in your Bible and you were reading through, you say, "Wait a minute! I I read that like two months ago." Because your Bible's not put together chronologically. See, so that's why we have Bible study so we can do it, find out the chronological. So
1: putting it in our time is. Kind of difficult and sometimes disconcerting to see or hear news from other parts of the world. Sure. But they think about the United States now, how we are rapidly, you know, going down and becoming so weak and everything.
0: Yeah, I look at have we hit bottom yet Mm -hmm. or are we starting to go up? See, we don't know. Yeah. It's like when you're slowly in your car and you're slowly climbing, you don't know you're climbing until you look back in the rearview mirror and you say, oh, I've been, I've been climbing for the last half hour. I didn't feel it because it was so slow. Mm-hmm. So we, we don't know where are we and where are we, because when we're, when we're going to end with Daniel in a, in a few weeks, it's going to be prophetic stuff. It's going to be end time stuff. So you to be able to take that <clears throat> and put that alongside of the book of Revelation, and we might have to revisit the book of revelation uh uh to to get more clarity and in uh added to that as to what does that look like and what is god doing and 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 where are we Is it still going to get worse yet, or have we bottomed out, and now we're on the upswing you know it takes time to figure all that stuff out, you know I always hope we're on the upswing. But you know, a lot of times it doesn't look like it. see we don't we don't know,
2: we don't know. yeah, do, Larry. yeah, do we know uh with regard to Belshazzar's father, if he had any interest in coming to the rescue or or had the Persians already defeated? He was when, on the run, okay He was on the run, yeah, he was on the run, and he knew
0: historically, I, I read some stuff that they said that. He basically knew that Babylon was going to go because Babylon was the prize. So he didn't want to hang around Babylon because he figured that was going to be the first point they were going to be coming after. And so he felt that if he left that in charge, Mm -hmm. he could somehow strengthen the rest of the region before all that happened, and it didn't happen.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. But that was kind of the plan. It's all historical. There's historical documents that... They back that stuff up so
2: yeah from um, the things some of the things I read is that they, they thought the city of Babylon was impregnable
0: yeah and it fell pretty quick
2: yeah what I read was that uh, well the walls were so high and so thick that you know mm-hmm. but what the Persians had done was that they diverted the Euphrates River I think it was and that caused the water and the river uh, that ran past the city to lower, and they were able to get in in shallow water.
0: Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, those clever Persians.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, there was stuff like that in in Jerusalem too, because they they had attacks, and they would use the waterways, the water systems. They would come in under almost underground, mm-hmm. come in, 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 in and yeah. levy an, an attack. But yeah, this is biblical history, and does not contradict what we know to be historical history. It comes right alongside of it, time frame, everything. It's all there, and this is where archaeology comes in because archaeology—they're always finding uh, tablets and they're finding things about uh, um, stuff that goes on with uh, that, that correlates with the Bible. I remember, it uh, must have been about 20 years ago, they didn't have anything per se on David, on some of the battles and things that were about David. They didn't have it, and then I forget exactly where it was. They were out in the desert. They were going through some stuff out there, and not in Israel, but in, in one of the countries that he was waging war with, one of their tablets, it mentions David and it mentions him coming through uh, doing that in the, in the time frame and so it was like, wow so that's why Tisha Rabbit here is that archaeology over in the Middle East is a very dangerous thing sometimes because if it refutes the God that you want to believe you don't want it out and if it, and if it ratifies, it verifies your God you want it out, right? and so that's part of the battle that goes on over there and I remember uh, um, one of my uh, Craig Evans, one of my New Testament professors, he was on the team that worked on the Dead Sea Scrolls so he literally with gloves and stuff, had the fragments and for a long time people didn't realize it, but the Dead Sea Scrolls were in Long Beach People didn't realize it, but they let the Dead Sea Scrolls come out of Israel, and it was a secret project, and they were working on them, and it was in Long Beach, and then some guy found out about it, and he, 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 he blabbed it, and then all of a sudden they said, oh, all these scholars now wanted to get their hands on the Dead Sea Scrolls, and it was like, no, 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 it's just a select group of people. But anyway, Craig Evans. He was he was one of that team that, that was working on that and putting you know you know the fragments of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Some things were in scroll form, but as you opened it, it would break. Other things were just little pieces and fragments scattered all over the place. And for years, you know, they're taking one little thing and putting it and trying trying to put it together. But anyway, he said that uh, in Ar- Iran, I forget the name of the. Uh, I have to look up in my notes way back when in Iran there's a museum where they hold several tablets and writings and things that verify the Bible. But they don't let anybody anybody in there. He was literally in tears when he was talking about it. He says he says he says and he says he says never in my lifetime will, will that probably ever come out because he just didn't see that that regime over there. It's a Muslim-run country. He, he couldn't see in his lifetime uh, that opening up and becoming a democratic society where those things would now be available. And so he says they're like buried, hidden documents. He says, but they, 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 they know they're there. People have seen them, and, and fragments have been smuggled out and different things and, and stuff, and... and you know the Dead Sea Scrolls, the guy that found the Dead Sea Scrolls, he was looking for his goat and his goat went into a, into a hole in the wall in the Cave in, in Qumran and he threw a rock to get the goat's attention it didn't come out he threw another one and he heard a think it, it it hit ceramic and what it was is they had put them in ceramic containers and they put it into the into the wall and the wind had blown away enough so that the ceramic was showing. And so he just saw one little fragment and he pulled it out. He didn't know what he had, but he knew he had something good. And so he wanted to take it to an antiquities dealer. It's a true story. He wanted to take it to an antiquities dealer. And so he felt the best way to hide it, put it in his shoe. He took the Dead Sea Scroll, rolled it up, Put it in his shoe and walked around with for well, about a week and a half before he was able to get to an antiquities dealer mm-hmm. who told him, uh, trying not to get too excited, but, but, um, where'd you get this? You know, and then he took him back and then they started excavating. And basically, what the Dead Sea Scrolls are are copies of the Old Testament and, and commentaries on the Old Testament and commentaries of what was being taught in the synagogue from about 200 years before Jesus to about 20, 30, 40, 50 years after Jesus. So it's contemporary to Christ as Dead Sea Scrolls. And I think I told you before, there's a couple instances in the Bible where Jesus says and it's in the Sermon on the Mount and he says you've heard it said and he quotes the Old Testament and people will say he quoted it wrong. And he does. He doesn't quote it the way it's in the Bible. But he says, you've heard it said. Well, when they dug up the old, the, 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 the Dead Sea Scrolls, there was what they call peshers, and peshers are commentaries on how things were being taught in the synagogue. Jesus says it the way it was being taught in the synagogue. He says, you have heard it said. And then he says, but I tell you, this is... So he's true to what's going on. So the Dead Sea Scrolls come to the rescue there. I mean, I, I get... This is all historical stuff. And the other thing was the Dead Sea Scrolls. There was about 50, 60 copies of the Old Testament. And um, they give us the Old Testament. And as you read it from that to what we have now, verbatim, nothing's changed. Nothing's. It's just... It's changed to our way of the, the way we speak. But the actual what's in there, the context, nothing's been changed. And uh, uh, so prior to that, those, like I said, those are dated around the time of Christ. Prior to that, the oldest copies that we had of the Old Testament was the, called the Leningrad Codex, and it was from about the year 1100.
2: Mm.
0: So by about 1200, Hundred years earlier, we have now fresh copies of the Old Testament that are exactly what we have today. Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, same thing. Dead Sea Scrolls, same thing. There's also a treasure map, and it's 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 called a copper scroll. And if you ever want a, a book on this, I can, I can show you some books I have in, in my library. There, um, there's a, a copper scroll that's written out and hammered out in, in copper, and it's a treasure map and they believe it's where they hid a lot of things, and they also think, you know, okay, where's the Ark of the Covenant and all this? The problem is they're not able to decipher that treasure map. They can't figure out the the, the markers and the, and the things that it's talking about. So they have this written in copper, something special that wasn't going to deteriorate, like the other things that were written on, on parchment or animal hide, and uh, that, that would deteriorate over time, the copper didn't deteriorate. They have it, and so they have this this, this treasure map. But they, they they don't know where to start, <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's a big mystery. But the Dead Sea Scrolls are huge for Christianity, and uh, uh, it's, it's it's huge for the Bible as a as a as a whole. So yeah,
1: somewhere in the Bible. I think the New Testament, um, I don't
0: know if it's Jesus telling someone about this stones will cry out. Yeah, he's
1: talking about Jerusalem.
0: Yeah. About Jerusalem. Yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah, he, he looks upon it. And see, this is where they wanted to, one of the things that they used to, to, to condemn him. Because he looks upon Jerusalem and he weeps. And he says, not long from now will no stone be un- unturned. And so they they wanted to say this man prophesied against the temple that he was going to destroy the temple. No, what he was talking about was that in the year seventy, when the, when Rome would destroy the temple, it was going to be it was going to be taken apart. And so that's what he was saying. He was talking about the stones in of of, of the temple. Yeah, that's in that's in Matthew. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I know I rambled a bit here. um so any other thoughts, questions? we we got a minute left. Yeah, oh, you good? No. Huh? No? Right no. no, she was just, she was saying finito. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, also I'll be thinking about once we're done with Daniel where you might want to go. Like I said, I don't know if we want to revisit Revelation when we get to Daniel or whatever. I don't know. You might want to do that. Uh, it's up to you guys wherever you want to go from here. So just kind of be thinking about it. Also, if you ever want to do study on how did they ratify the Old Testament and the New Testament, how do we know these are the books of the Old Testament, these are the ones in the New Testament, how did we get here, how did, how did that get, who was in charge of that, what happened. There's a, there's a whole process behind all of that. Because, uh, uh, um, again, it was called the canon, and canon means standard. Bible means book. And so they, they they said, you know, this is the standard. This is the standard that we're supposed to live our lives by. So that's what the canon means. It's a standard, not canonism. Mm-hmm. Shoot think it's a realistic relation being that Daniel
1: is still fresh in our minds.
0: Yeah, because if there 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 is going to be a lot of stuff that leads to that, and in, and uh, in some other things. So yeah, we can we can probably do that. I can kind of do an, an overview, or, or however you want to do it. So I, I just found it's always easier. If, if I read a book on a World War II general, I'm, my next book wants to be on another World War II general and then another one and another one. So I get the perspective from four or five different generals on the same topic, you know, or, or, or authors on the same topic. That way I get a more rounded view of it. And I think the Bible's like that. If you, if you read some parallel stuff and you're able to, to lay it on top of that grid... Then it, it uh, I think it sticks better, possibly. So, okay. So we good. Praise God. Let's close in prayer. Thank you again, Lord, for uh, Holy Spirit, for guiding our discussion tonight, and help us to continue to um, search the Scriptures, Lord, for, for meaning, Lord, for application, for understanding, Lord. And again, what does it mean to us? individually and what does it mean to us corporately as a body of christ what does it mean to us as uh and our families lord in our community so for, father we just thank you that uh, you just help us in all of this so lord as we leave this um sanctuary but not your presence we ask you just continue to guide us strengthen us watch over us take care of us lord uh, and bring us back safely on sunday lord in this we just give you praise and honor and glory In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said. Amen. Praise God.